Welcome to the Variety Hour, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mouth. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Welcome to Talk Money. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome to the program. As many of you know, according to your questions now, Medicare is a federal program that ensures those individuals who are disabled or 65 and older, it ensures that they have affordable health care options. Well, welcome to the program. That's what we're going to be talking about, Medicare and a lot of those options that we've got. And that's the purpose of it. Well, over seventy or over thirty-seven million people who are enrolled in Medicare Part A and or Part B this year, according to the Center of Medicare and Medicare Services, there's thirty-seven million doing that. Well, it's amazing because here's the issue: there are four parts to Medicare: Part A, Part B, Part C, Part D. Part A, Part B, Part C, Part D. Each part covers different services. Well. Part A and Part B are provided by the federal government. Part C and Part D are provided by private insurance companies. And as most of you know, I've already got you started. Medicare terminology can be a little confusing. Well, with me today is our expert, Shannon Dyson. He's a frequent guest on Talk Money. He's going to be talking about Medicare. He is going to answer your questions that you've asked us about Medicare Part A, Part B, Part C, and Part D. It'll take us a couple of hours. <laughs> we'll walk through it. Also, we have Ted Miner. How do you get the most impact from contributions to your favorite charity? It's an important information that you want to know. You want to stay with us because that's going to be very important for you. Here's something from Howard. How here's something. Let me say it one more time. Did you know files from our did you know files? The important the uh, thing about the Department of Labor. Here's what they're saying to us. That three out of the top four occupations projected to create the greatest number of new jobs from 2016 to 2026 are in the health care industry. Three out of the four, personal care aides, registered nurses, and home health aides. I wonder if that has anything to do with the aging of America. Well, here's a thought from the Census Bureau. 76% of all U.S. businesses, 76% of all U.S. businesses are one-person self-employed entities operating with zero additional employees. That's kind of a unique thought. 76% of all U.S. businesses are one-person self-employed entities. Recently, there was a speculation about a possibility of a presidential veto. And here's some some interesting information for you. Just 7% of the 1,509 presidential vetoes in U.S. history, that's a total of 105, have ever been overridden by a two-thirds vote of the House and by, of course, the 67 of 100 members of the Senate. Ah, so it's not so often that we get overridden if you're the president. You power of the veto. And finally, from our Did You Know Files, the admission rate at Harvard University, and this is from a statement from Harvard, says, for admission applications from the children of wealthy donors, alumni, and faculty, there's a 34% chance you're going to get in. But from the admission rate of Harvard, they're also saying this, that if you're not from that group, just all other applications 
Well, your chance is only 6%. And maybe that's why I didn't get accepted to Harvard. I hadn't thought about that. Maybe that's the, that's the uh, issue there. If you have questions for Talk Money, send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. To, to, find, to, to find today's program on podcast or past programs, go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Coming up. Medicare, how to manage your health care and all the part A, B, D, Z, X, Y, Z. That's Shannon Dyson. He's going to share it with us. Opportunities and ways to maximize your charitable contributions. You're thinking about tax time. Ted Miner's going to help us with that. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and you're listening to The Voice, KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. This is Talk Money. Podcasts of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Jim Shoemaker and Ted Miner are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securing Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, welcome back. We're, I kind of was kind of a little bit of kidding there, a little bit Medicare and all the confusion and the parts A, B, C, D. And, you know, I know that's a little over the top, but the reality is we get so many questions and so many concerns about how to choose which and when do I do this and how do I do this? How do I maximize it? Why is it costing me so much? Great questions. So I've invited a frequent guest of ours, Shannon Dyson, Vice President of Shoemaker Insurance Solutions. Welcome to the program, Shannon. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me back. Well, you're you're all Always in high demand because Medicare seems to be getting a lot of questions or concerns. I mean, it, it, it's confusing, and I and it really was a little bit tongue in cheek. Part A, Part B, Part C, Part D, all those parts that add to it, and it is a little bit to the point where people say, "Okay, when am I eligible?" Or, or you know, it, 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 it's 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 the point where they can get started and think they know what to do. But as you know, it's so confusing that sometimes people make some serious mistakes. Well, I think, you know, it's one of those things that you know is coming. And as soon as you hit age 60, you know it's coming. you got five years, and it's this specific time that I need to do something. And people just want to make sure I don't want to miss what I'm supposed to do. And I think that drives a lot of the fear, a lot of the anxiety of what am I supposed to do? And then you go online and you may read some things. You know, I found out everything you search on Google is not true. And so sometimes you search things and maybe you're getting some bad information coupled with, well, my friend said this or my, or my other friend said this. And so there's just a lot of misinformation. It's a there. lot of information that you have to kind of go through and delineate right. what is what applies to you, the individual. So let me ask the first question we get. And, and so many people think, well, I'm I'm if I'm 65, I'm eligible right now. How how long when can I enroll or when what if I don't enroll what happens? Yeah, you know, we'll go through a lot of the different scenarios, but if we if we're just talking about I'm turning age 65, uh, that is what starts an open enrollment period with Medicare where you can actually sign up for Medicare. When you your birthday is like the birthday's today, you know, so it's March, and you say, okay, my birthday's today. Is it today's your first day of eligibility? So, so take the, the month of your birth and then go back three months from the month of your birth. So if, we're, if my birthday is March 27th, uh, then I would go back February, January, December. My open enrollment period would start December of last year if my birthday is in March. Uh, my actual Medicare would start on the first day of the month of my birth. So it would be March 1st is when my Medicare would actually start. Okay, so you're not getting, just because you enrolled 
back in December does Correct. not mean you're actually in the program. You can begin the enrollment process in December, three months before, but it will not start until the month of your birth. Let me also introduce Ted Miner. He is with us today. He's going to be talking about efficient giving in the second half of the program, but he does a lot of work when it comes to helping seniors understand Medicare. So welcome to the program, Ted. Yeah, I couldn't sleep at all last night, night knowing I was going to be here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I, I know that. Okay, I was excited. You were excited. Thank you for being here, man. I, you know all the things going on. <laughs> I, we could talk about not being able to sleep at night. Yeah, I hear you. Now let's talk about this. You had something you wanted to share with us. Yeah, I. Uh, you know, first of all, you was talking about the confusion, and I think part of the confusion for Medicare is, is Social Security. I mean, Social Security full retirement age for most people sixty six. Medicare, the age of 65, you can take Social Security starting at 62. You can wait all the way to 70. I think people, you know, they know there's things to be done, but they get them, they get them confused and mixed up a lot of times. I, what I've noticed, too, and I think, Shannon, you've seen this, too, it doesn't make any difference whether or not you're an executive or you're not. I mean, or a professional or highly educated or not. It, it's confusing to a lot of people because of some of what you said, Ted, a lot of different ages, a lot of different parts that you move into that. So let's start with this, Shannon. How do I sign up for Medicare? When you're turning 65, so let's just take the example we were just talking. My birthday is March 27th. Um, I can start signing up in December. You go to the Social Security website. So it's ssa.gov. Uh, from there, you can actually sign up for Part A and Part B of Medicare. They'll help you create an account. Um, and that, Ted's so right. One, one of the main questions that, that when people come in, they're not sure about what they're when they're supposed to sign up. Well, I'm not taking Social Security yet. Can I still get on Medicare? And so we, we walk them through that process of, yes, three months before you go to ssa.gov, you can sign up online through that, through that uh, website. All right. Let's suppose that you don't. You know, you're still working. Uh, is it mandatory that you sign up? You know, when I turned 65, I was still working. I mean, that's just not a problem. Uh, but do you have to sign up? The only time uh, that it is mandatory to sign up for Part A of Medicare is if you're taking Social Security. If you're taking Social Security, they will automatically sign you up for Part A of Medicare. Um, otherwise, you can, if you're continuing to work, you do not have to sign up for either Part A or Part B. If you still have a job, you're still, you still have uh, benefits through your employer, you don't have to do anything through that time. Okay, now that's you're just talking about Part A, and remember when I introduced the program, I had B, C, D. Yep. Now, federal government is the Part A and Part B. C and D are private insurance companies. Right. All right, let's talk about Part B. When do I sign up for Part B? Part B of Medicare are your doctor charges of Medicare. And again, if you're working, there is really no reason for you to ever sign up for Part B as long as you have a job with med with medical benefits. There's no penalty. Um, a lot of times the question is, well, if I don't sign up for Part B of Medicare, am I going to have a penalty if I'm still working? The answer is no. Your group health plan takes the place of that, and you do not have to do anything with Medicare if you're still working and, and have a job that has benefits. All right, here's the question that I think we get from a lot of people. If I don't sign up for Part A when I'm supposed to, do I lose it? I mean, do I? can I ever come back? And then if I come back, am I going to 
pay more? What's the what's the issue? I, I'm still working. Yep. I turned 65 and I didn't sign up. So you're still working. You didn't sign up for for Part A or Part B of Medicare. You you didn't need to. Nobody you, you weren't required to do that. You're working for a big corporation. You got great insurance. You just kept working. And kept you your worked head for down. three more years. You're right. now 68 years old, and you say I'm ready to retire. What do I do now? Um, at that point, you can it opens up a special election window, special election period. Uh, and you have eight months to sign up for Medicare A and B uh, with no penalty whatsoever. And so at that point, you still have an eight, and you're not going to want to spend eight months uh, waiting because you're not going to have insurance. But you do have an eight-month window to sign up after you retire. And there is no penalty. No penalty at all. Correct. Right. Yep. That's important. If you just tuned in, my guest today is Shannon Dyson. He's Vice President of Shoemaker Insurance Solutions. We're talking about Medicare update and just what's going on and how to understand it. And we're answering some of those questions that you've sent us just to get some insight into those questions. And also Ted Miner, and he's with us today also going, he's going to be talking about more about efficient giving. But right now we're just all talking about this subject that seems to be on everybody's mind if you're approaching 60, looking at retirement, maybe you're getting a buyout, maybe you get, you know, this, you got some health issues, all those questions that seem to just keep bubbling around the surface, and it just keeps everybody kind of going, what do I do? All right, here's a question we've got. If I know, Shannon, that I take Part A, I go into the hospital and I have private insurance, is Part A going to take over? And cover me? Am I going to get as good a coverage as I would have gotten with my insurance company? You know, I feel like everything I answer is maybe or it could be or well, you're depends. Politically <laughs> correct today. <laughs> but in, in what really uh, take to determine whether Medicare is your primary payer or your secondary payer for your group insurance, it depends on how big of an employer you work for. Uh, if you work for an employer that has 20 or more employees, your group plan will always be the primary payer. If you work for a company that has less than in, less than 20 employees, then Medicare is actually going to be your primary payer and your group insurance plan will be your secondary payer. Um, in that type of situation, you may consider going ahead and taking Medicare A and B um, and just doing away with the group plan. It just depends on what the pricing of it is and, and all of that, because Medicare would be your primary payer at that point. Okay, now you're you're just really, all of a sudden, you, you opened up another can of worms. You said, I I could literally be with my carrier, my, my, my insurance company, company, yeah. my company insurance, mm-hmm. company, and I could change and go to Medicare Part A and Part B. And it'd be better for me, it cheaper. Could, yeah, cheaper? it could. It could be. And, and one of the one of the things that we do uh, when people come to the office is analyze the, what they're paying for premiums. I think a lot of what we hear uh, is that premiums are so high, they're sky high. With whether it's a group plan or individual plan, uh, and when you look at the Medicare premiums and Medicare supplement premiums, they tend to be fairly low, uh, at, especially at age sixty five. And so it could be you could look at the two and say, well. My my group plan with my employer has a really high deductible, and with Medicare, I could have this really low deductible if I have a supplement. Uh, it may make, make more sense for me to go ahead and go on to Medicare and just drop my group plan. Let me ask both of you and just kind of weigh in on this, and this is just an opinion, and I understand we're not going to be experts on this, but I, I just wonder how do people feel, and I, I'll start with you, Shannon, on this, and then I want you to weigh into it, Ted, too. That they're going to get the same care in the hospital if they go in as a private payer insurance company versus going in as a Medicare patient. Hear that all the time. I'm sure you do. It's it's a a fear that that we hear for sure. And what we try to say is that obviously we cannot tell you how you're going to be treated. It's been our experience. 
uh, the people that we have that have Medicare A, B, and a supplement have been very happy with the coverage that they have, uh, especially when they move from maybe a $5,000 deductible plan at work to a zero deductible plan. I had one client that came in, had shoulder, shoulder surgery. He was asking me, how much is this going to cost me under Medicare? I said, it says it right here. It's not going to cost you anything. He came back in six weeks later and said, you were right. I didn't believe you, but I didn't pay a bill. <laughs> and so he was very happy with that. So, yes, it is a fear, because, but again, because of things people read and hear, uh, but the actual practice of it has been very good. And that's an example, of course, that, you know, I, I don't want anybody to think that example would be for everybody. But sure. the point is, knowing and understanding and and you do have to do some reading. You know, that's the key. Probably have you seen that, Ted? Well, I I would take my experience to my parents. My 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 parents from my dad's eighty eight years old, mom's eighty. And uh, my mom's had knee surgery, she's had um, open heart surgery, dad's had a number of operations and realistically, you know, Medicare has been a really good deal for them. Okay. So so again, that's your experience, yes. and mm-hmm. that's not for everybody. We're not trying to say those two experiences fit the mold for everybody, but but it has been, and, and I think people need to just look at it, study it, know what they're going in for if they have the opportunity to do that. Well, there are also experiences where a client comes in and their employer offers a plan that costs them virtually nothing. And so at that point, we say stay on that plan as long as you can. Right. Uh, and then it, once you retire, then we'll look at the Medicare process. You know, Jim, uh, jump back to one question. A lot of people, I've heard a lot of people give the advice that since Medicare Part A doesn't cost anything, you've been paying for it all your life, they tell you to go ahead and sign up for Part A as soon as you can because it doesn't cost you anything. Uh, just ask Shannon real quickly. I know we've discussed this before, but is there any reason why someone would not just go ahead and sign up for Medicare Part A? This just came up uh, the other day with one with one of our clients. They called in. They were turning 65 in April. I'm going to go ahead and sign up for Part A because it doesn't cost me anything. I heard that it helps me with my deductible. Is there any reason I shouldn't do that? Well, there is really one answer as to why you wouldn't do that, and it's if you have a health savings account through your employer. Uh, if you're contributing to a health savings account, HSA, uh, or if your employer is contributing on your behalf, that's a tax-free benefit that you're getting. So you're able to put money into that plan tax-free. Your employer is able to put money into that plan for you tax-free. If you take Part A, you can no longer do that. So that would eliminate the HSA. Absolutely. And so before you just jump right in to signing up for something that's free, as you said, Ted, think about it. And if you do have, eh, you know, I think that's critical for everybody to pay attention to that. And from a HSA standpoint, Jim, the HSA is probably the best benefit out there the, the IRS and the government has given us in terms of a, a real tax-free benefit. All right. and, and that money that you put in there, even when you can't put any more contributions in there, the money in the HSA can be used for to pay even pay for Medicare premiums in retirement. So the money will be used. All right, let me ask you this question. I want to make sure that everybody listening understands what an HSA is. It's a health savings account. Okay, where did I put it? You put well. Most of the time, the uh, the company has payroll deduction, and, and it goes into an account there. There are some that actually offer the opportunity for that money above a certain level to be invested, which it can where it can grow tax free and and help you. And there's even a strategy today that don't even says don't even access the HSA money. Let it continue to grow. Use your own money, and when you get into retirement, use that money. Use that money. Do you see people that don't understand their HSA? I mean, they come in and the way they have it. But they're asking questions that you think, 
If you have one, you would not be asking these questions. But it typically do. takes five questions to get to the answer of yes or no, I have an HSA. Because they, they, first it's an FSA, flexible spending account, which is different than an <laughs> different HSA. Different than an HSA. Right. Or an now HR, we're back to part A. Part or an HRA, part a, which is know? different than an HSA. But the, the, bottom, the bottom line is that if you have an HSA at work and, and your employer is contributing money to that, that's a great benefit to you. And if you're continuing to work past 65 don't take Medicare Part A. You do not have to. That's one of the one of the main things that we hear when people. I heard that I have to go ahead and take Part A. And unless you're taking Social Security reti- uh, income retirement, you do not have to take Part A of Medicare. Well, if you just tuned in, this is great information. You're paying attention to it. I hope you're taking notes. If you want to listen to this program again, go to the iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial. This program will get posted eventually in the next couple of days. You can listen to it again. But this is valuable information. We get this que- these questions all the time. And Shannon and Ted are just walking through some simple answers. We're not through with it. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about Medicare supplements and Medicare Advantage. Remember the C and the D? That's the private insurance carriers. We'll talk about that in just a few minutes. You're listening to KWAM 990 FM 107.9, The Voice. And I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. Over 37 million people were enrolled in Medicare Part A or Part B last year. That's according to the Centers of Medicare and Medicaid Services, the CMS. And we're talking about, with Shannon Dyson and Ted Miner, Medicare and your questions that you've had about Part A, Part B, Part C, Part D, and how confusing it is and uh we just finished a great discussion talking about the HSA. And if you happen to be enrolled with your employer and you have an HSA account, Shannon and Ted were both talking about maybe, not maybe, don't go ahead and enroll into your Medicare plan because if you do Part A, you eliminate your HSA, and that's not a good thing. So think about what you're doing. Pay attention. Read as much as you can. If you need to ask these guys a question, don't hesitate to give them a call, 757-5757. Shannon, let me me start with this because I mentioned it before we went out. Medicare supplements. This is Part C or Part D. Now, this let me help me understand when do I open up and say, okay, I got part A, I'm paying for part B, which is covering my other. Why do I need a C or a D? Well, we're, we talk about, uh, we haven't talked about this, we don't have time to go into it today, but Medicare A and B both have uh, deductibles and coinsurance that the, the person would have to pay themselves once they had services rendered. So if I go in the hospital, there are deductibles. If I go to a doctor, there's percentages that I'm having to pay out of my pocket. All right, as let me I see stop you doctor. for a second. I got a question now. You said a while ago we had instances where you go in and you look and you see that's all covered. You still have a deductible is what you're saying. It may be all covered, but you got to meet your deductible. You got your deductibles. You've got coinsurance percentages. And the, the, the person that I mentioned a few minutes ago, he happened to have a supplement. And so the supplement comes into play, a Medicare supplement uh, comes in and takes over those those payments to those providers. So the deductible that I had with Part A, Medicare supplement will pay that. Uh, the coinsurance percentage that I have with Part B, a Medicare supplement will pay that as well. And so those are things that you combine. You have A, you have B, a Medicare supplement comes in and takes the play or 
pays for the premiums that you, or the deductibles that you would have had to pay had you not had that. And the supplements are all issued through private insurance companies. Private insurance carriers, you're not required to have a supplement. That's something that you choose to have to supplement what you have with, with Medicare. Uh, there's a couple of different options when you're looking at supplements. There's different letters. Uh, a through F. Uh, so, I mean, when, when people come in, I try to say, all right, let's just, from the, from the get-go, when we start this, when we talk about Medicare, we're going to say part. And when we talk about supplement, we're going to say plan. So right. plan G, plan F versus part A, part B can get very confusing. It's extremely <laughs> confusing, and that's the problem. So now, very quickly, and then I, we want to shift a little bit to where we got to go. We want to talk with Ted about this whole idea behind efficient giving, but but because it ties a little bit into what we're trying to get to do today. But I guess I want to know, part D is the drug side. Yes. And it is such a big issue. You know, at 25 or 30, people don't even think about it. It, and I can understand they don't have, unless they're disabled, they don't have Medicare. But a person gets to be 60, 65, 70, 75, they're probably taking one or two drugs. Yeah. And are they covered? Do they, does Medicare and Part A and B doesn't cover drugs? Correct. And the, the, the process of signing up online for A, B, and a supplement takes about 10 minutes. Uh, the process of going through Part D may take an hour uh, just because of somebody's taking a lot of prescriptions or different prescriptions. Finding the right company for them uh, to to cover the prescriptions the best. There's 50 different insurance carriers that are in that Part D uh, of Medicare market. Uh, finding the best one is it can be difficult, and going through what that means is it's a long process. Hey Shannon, I got a question for you on Part D. On Part D, um, is there a reason why I would not sign up for Part D, even if I'm not taking meds? Should I should I can I'll go ahead and sign up for Part D anyway? That's another question that, that we get a lot. I'm not taking anything. I don't I don't I'm healthy. I don't need I don't I don't take prescriptions. I'm not signing up for Part D when I'm eligible. And that, that could be one of the two people. You know, like my wife doesn't take anything, but I may be taking something, or mm-hmm. she's taking something. I'm right. not. So when so I, why do I need prescription coverage from not taking prescriptions? Okay. Well, the federal government says if you don't, you will be penalized, um, and the penalty is one percent per month that you did not take coverage and were eligible. Uh, so we have had clients come in uh, that were 68 years old. One, wait a minute, 1% yep. per month. Per month. That's 12% for a year that I'm going to pay more if I sign Forever. up a year from now. Forever. Forever. Yeah, so, so you had a 68-year-old client that comes in and says, I didn't take Part D, but my doctor just prescribed uh, Lipitor, and now I need to get me a prescription Part D plan. Okay, we can certainly do that for, for next year, but now we have three years. 12 times three is 36. That's 36% that we're adding to whatever premium that you choose in the Part D market. That's a severe penalty. It's a severe penalty, and it doesn't need to happen when you can take an $11 a month premium, the lowest that, that Part D offers, just so you can avoid the penalty later on. So now let me, wait a minute, let me ask you this. You say taking that lower, mm-hmm. even though I'm not taking anything, it would still give me, and if I started taking something. It's going to give you coverage right off the bat, and so, you can always change it every year. With Part D prescription, it's something that you can analyze at the end of every year and change companies moving into the next year. So it's the one thing, because we don't know what prescriptions you may be prescribed throughout the year. So if you get prescribed something new, you may want to look reevaluate your plan and take something new the next year. Shannon, could you just give me an idea? What is a what's what's a number that Part D might cost? What is it? What's the range? The range is eleven dollars a month, all the way up to seventy-two dollars a month, depending on the plan. I, I actually I, this year there was actually some plans that were over one hundred dollars a month. 
Um, the one thing that you really don't care about, though, when you're looking at a prescription Part D, and this is going to sound crazy, you don't look at the premium. It's all about the prescriptions that you take, because once we put that in the system, that will tell us how much money you're going to spend. It's just as important to know how much you're going to pay in a copay as it is how much you're going to pay in monthly premium. But if I'm just doing the Part D because I think I might get on meds later on and I don't want that 36% increase after three years, then I could get a, a low plan. Very low, $11, $12 a month, and maybe up to $20, $24 a can month. Can I change? Can I change later? Every year. Every year you can change. There's, there's no penalty for changing. You can, um, when we go through that process, in, uh, the initial process, a lot of times people ask, well, you're putting these prescriptions in. What, what if I have a different prescription throughout the year? Well, we're only putting those prescriptions in to show you what you're going to pay based on those prescriptions. That's not limiting you. That list is not getting sent to the insurance provider. We're just trying to give you an idea of what you're going to spend, but you can change it every year. Well, there's so many other questions. We, we have got several more that we have not had a chance to get to today. We'll have you back on, as we always do, so we can cover some of these. But if you've got questions for Shannon, give him a call, 757-5757, or send them to me at talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We do our best to answer your questions about what you want to know about, and it's just simply let us know. Keep us informed or give Shannon a call because obviously this is a great subject and a subject that is, you know, stimulates a lot of thinking. And I think people need to do that. As you approach it, just be prepared for it. Coming up after we take this next break, we're going to talk about efficient giving. Now, you know, here's what's happening. You're completing or you've done or you're finished or you just about finished your tax return. And you looked and said, oh, I didn't. Oh, this. well, you know what? There's a lot of little things that maybe you didn't think about. And efficient giving is probably one of those because some of us maybe didn't get to give the type of giving that we thought we were going to get to do. We had to itemize or it just changed for us. My guest, and he's been talking with us already this morning, Ted Miner, he is going to dive into some questions and some thoughts for you about being efficient when it comes to making your choice to a charitable gift and what you want to do. Stay with us. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and you're listening to Talk Money. If you have questions you'd like to have answered on the program, email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. George Lee first came to Memphis in 1912, where he worked as a bellhop at the Gayoso Hotel to finance his education. During the First World War, Lee was accepted to a segregated Army officer training school and received a commission as a second lieutenant. Decorated for bravery in battle, he was promoted to first lieutenant, and the title Lieutenant Lee remained with him throughout his life. After the war, Lee established himself in the growing African-American insurance business and went on to become one of the most successful African-American political and business leaders in the South. He utilized his talents as an articulate speaker and a gifted writer in his lifelong local and national career. His initial political work was in the Lincoln League, an African-American Republican organization set up in 1916 by fellow Memphian Robert Church. Although the Republican Party won few elections in Memphis until the Eisenhower years, Lee, as the local GOP leader, exerted considerable influence through his alliance with East Tennessee Republicans. Lee later worked through the Fraternal Order of Elks to call attention to civil rights struggles on a national scale. He emphasized black pride through education and the expansion of African-American companies and was famed for his descriptions of African-American life in his writings. 
1973, Lee's portrait was placed in the state capitol, and he also received the R.Q. Vinson Memorial Award presented by the American Legion in honor of his service to his country. Lee continued to be active in Memphis civic life until his death on August the 1st, 1976. This has been another Mid-South History Moment brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. The S&P is an unmanaged index of 500 large cap stocks. Investors cannot invest in an index. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and were redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, welcome back. And again, we're talking, we've been talking with Shannon Dyson, and now we have Ted Miner. Ted is a retired income certified professional, and he's talking about efficient giving. And it's amazing. Many people want to help charitable organizations that they're, you know, they have want to have an impact. They want to give money or assets that they've worked hard to acquire. And all of a sudden they're finding that mm, it's a little different than what they thought it was, was last year. And they've got to make a couple of changes. In fact, Ted, what you were telling me is that all of a sudden people are having, they're atomizing where they haven't atomized in the past. I mean, they're not atomizing and where they, you know, they didn't have to or couldn't. And in the past, they were atomizing. Yeah, we we kind of knew that when the after the tax law changed, that the realization most people is going to be when they do their taxes. And uh, this year, where there was last year, there was a twelve thousand seven hundred uh, standard deduction for married, filing joint, half that for for single. But this year, it's doubled. It's, you know, it's over twenty four thousand. So most people, if you fall within that twelve to twenty four thousand, they would still itemize. Mm-hmm. And so they saved the receipts, they gave to charity, they did all the things that they've done. Uh, before and they they turn in their they talk to their CPA and all of a sudden he comes back and says we're going to do the 1040 uh, short form and they say but what about all these other deductions and he said well you you got them you got them in a standard deduction well I know the tax brackets have all changed and and I don't think it's appropriate for us I don't think we have to, to get into all the tax brackets and changes and stuff like that but how do you get let's just go to the meat of this what I want to talk about if I were you know, at one point thought I had all my taxes really done and I was really good at my charitable contributions. And, you know, it's a way of life for a lot of people and it's changed. So how do you get the most impact out of your contributions to charity under the new program today? Well, there's there's different strategies for different scenarios. Uh, the the one that I think is probably the, 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 the biggest one and has the, the biggest advantage is for a, a certain type of person. It's for people that's in retirement over 70 and a half taking their required minimum distributions from the government they have to take. And this is this is a strategy that's been around for a long time, and people just don't know about it. They don't know how to utilize that, and it involves taking what you're going to give to charity anyway, and instead of writing that check every month, you go to you go to your who's handling your your uh, retirement account, and you tell them, I want to send the check directly to my charity. What that does, in essence, it takes that amount of money and takes it out of your income for the year. So you're getting you're getting the best of both worlds. You never included his income, therefore it's a deduction, and you get the full twenty four thousand dollar if you're a married filing joint benefit, uh, taking that off your taxes too. So you you're actually taking your. And I think you were referring to the RMD, right? The required, yeah, required minimum distribution. Mm-hmm. You said over seventy and a half. So if I take that money, let's walk walk me through that again. Be very specific. All I have to do is contact where my retirement plan is, where my IRA is. That's correct. Okay. 
Didn't go for there. Okay, first of all, Jim, you, you have to be you have to be seventy and a half. That's when where the it's called RMDs, required minimum dis, distributions. That's where those things kick in. And if you the government is trying, you know, they're saying you've got to start taking a certain percentage of your retirement accounts out. All right, let me let me make sure now. That means. I've got my IRA. Can I do this from a 401k? No, you can't. Uh, you can't do it from a simple. What you can do with a 401k is you can roll your 401k into an IRA. IRAs and 401ks have some different uh, different rules that they're governed by, but you can take your 401k and make it and turn it into an IRA and then take the uh, take the benefit of what we're talking about. All right. Give me a hypothetical. Just I mean, because I think it's difficult sometimes to get your head around Something that you said, or you kind of implied, well, it's been around forever, but it's confusing. It is, and it's kind of sad uh, that this thing – matter of fact, it was kind of confirmed because of the law, because people start asking questions about it because they the standard deduction went up. But let's take a, let's take a hypothetical individual uh, with an income of, say, $65,000. They're over 70 and a half, and they have an IRA. And let's say that they – let's say they give 10%. Uh, to their church, church $6,500. Okay. And, okay. and maybe they even write a check every week and give it to the church. Well, if they go through and they do their normal taxes, uh, they're going to find out that that $6,500 that they gave, they could not deduct. They probably couldn't deduct it when they had a $12,000 standard deduction, much less when there's a $24,000 deduction. However, if they change one simple thing, instead of taking the required Minimum distribution the government says they have to take from that RMD. That's required. Now, there's no option on that. Yeah, and what it is at age 70 and a half is 3.65% of your retirement uh, account savings. So okay. that's another discussion. But you got to take it. The government says if you don't, it's a 50% penalty. Okay. So you got to take that. Instead of taking it and having it, the check sent to you or to your home, you you take that amount. The amount you're going to give as your as your uh, as your to the contribution okay. to the church or whatever, you take that amount and send it directly to them. Then it it's not included in your income. It's like itemizing it, except that you also get to take the standard deduction too. Well, all right. Now, wait a second, because I want to know the impact. I want, you said a, a man over, woman over sixty-five. I mean, over seventy and a half. And a half so they have to take the required minimum distribution. Mm-hmm. You said sixty-five thousand dollars of income. So they said use that as an example. Something like sure. that. All right. Give me the details of that impact. I want people to understand. Okay. That it's really a number. If you take if you take a person that's making sixty five thousand dollars a year and they give sixty five hundred dollars to their charity, and they change the way they do it instead of writing the check and going through all the the accounting and everything, and they just have one check sent. Uh, from their IRA, it would save them $780. That's 12%. They're in a 12% tax bracket. So they save $780. And believe me, $780 well, is going to be thinking, valuable to you know, Maybe 65. that would use that for Medicare payments. As a matter of fact, there is a strategy. This strategy, now we use $65,000 as the income, but I mean, Shannon can can uh, respond to this, but uh, Shannon, those Medicare premiums, aren't they income dependent? They are. Part B of, of Medicare is based on your income. So if you make over a certain amount of money, you will actually be charged more for your Part B premium than if you made less. Jim, there's uh, there's many people that have quite a bit of money in savings uh, that may be required to take out as much as fifty or sixty thousand dollars, and by and they give that money. They, in other words, they're constantly giving money. This is not somebody they say, well, "Okay, I have never given one dime to charity, and now I'm going to start that." If, I mean, we'd like for them to start that. That's important. We are a giving city, very much so. Yes. But if you're giving to a charity, 
not church. You talked about church. We talk. It can be any charity that's a five hundred one c deductible type charity, right? Yes. These these things that I'm talking about in efficient giving. We're, while we certainly encourage, as you said, uh, donating to charity, we think that's responsible. Uh, we're we're talking about getting the most impact from the the, the what you're already giving to charity, right? And and there are people in high income brackets that give money, and they use this particular method not only to save on taxes, but also save on Medicare premiums for Part B and Part D. That's a great comment. You just tuned in. My guest, Ted Miner and Shannon Dyson, we're now talking about efficient giving, and the first one, we the strategy is phenomenal. Do, do you have a name for this strategy? Well, the QCD, the QCD is just a qualified charitable distribution as, that's as denoted by the government. Okay, so they refer to it as a QCD or qualified. As a matter of fact, your your CPA would actually use the term QCD on your tax return to mean qualified charitable distribution. Wow, great information. So stay with us. We got more to come. I mean, there's more. He's got several more qualified charitable distribution ideas that you need to look at. If you're feeling you still got some time to do your tax return, it's a little late for doing what you could do. But now's the time to plan for what you're going to do next year. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Thanks for listening because we're going to continue. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This is Talk Money. Podcasts for Talk Money are available for iOS mobile devices in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. We are listening to, of course, two great guys, great guests to be on the program. They're very knowledgeable of what they're talking about. Ted Miner and Shannon Dyson. Ted is a retirement income certified professional. He is talking about giving money, being efficient with how you do your charitable contributions. Now, you can't do what he's talking about this year. But now that you're filling out your tax return and you're looking at it, or maybe you've already done it, and we just wanted to kind of get you back into that point where you're thinking about planning for what you're going to do for next year. So you do it this year for next year's return. And that's important that you think about that. And these guys are doing a great job, giving us tons of information. Shannon's been talking about Medicare. You'll want to listen to this program again later, I'm sure. So please just go to the iTunes store and search for Shoemaker Financial, and you can go right to the program. I I guess, Shannon, and both of you looking at it, and Ted, you've done some great jobs. Ted, is there something else? I mean, is there is there issues here that you're talking about as far as this charitable gift contribution? Well, on the on the qualified charitable distribution, one other point I'd just like to make: once the door is open, in that you have an have an IRA, and you have a required minimum distribution, you're over seventy and a half. Jim, you know anything about that? No, no, <laughs> don't want to discuss that. You know what? Cut his mic off. <laughs> but once you once you get once that door is open, that you're required to take that minimum distribution. That I will say that you're not limited to just what the government's requiring you to take out. You can give up to a hundred thousand dollars out of that account uh, to charity. Is that the ceiling? I mean, that, that is a ceiling. That, that's the max. Yep. So a hundred thousand dollars, but out it, of your qualified account of your IRA. IRA. And that money is not included as as uh, in, as income. Now there is a special way to put it on your on your income taxes where it's not included. Talk to your CPA about about how to do that. Okay. Now, is there another strategy that you feel that's comfortable that people should be thinking about as far as now this particular time for next year? Yeah, one that has kind of come to to mind with the new tax law 
is a uh, and it it uh, it had its it had people started talking about it in theory last year, uh, but it's actually taken on its own name. And as I was kind of searching in, in preparation for today, it's it's got a call a term called bunching. I saw it on C- CNBC and a couple other websites. But uh, and what it is, if you can imagine when you when you do itemize those people who itemize, they basically come in a, a number of categories. You got interest on your home, uh, you have charitable contributions, you have uh, property taxes and local taxes. Well, some of those tax deductions, uh, some of those things that you itemize, you itemize in years past, they're ones that you have full control over. Mm -hmm. I mean, certainly charitable contributions is one of them. You can control over whether you give it this year or next year. Uh, Property taxes uh, here in, in Shelby County, you have the ability to pay them over. You may even choose which year you can pay it in. We get a bill in September, so we can pay it that year, or we can pay it as late as February of the following year. So what this new strategy, this bunching strategy entails is that you take a standard deduction one year, and then you you take everything, you double up the next year on those things you control over. So you give twice the charitable contributions in one year. You take uh, the property taxes, you put all the, as much as you can in one year. You may even, you can even work it out on uh, interest payments where you make your January payment in December. And that allows you to take the, uh, the interest deduction for that one month in a year earlier. So there's things you can do that to bunch your, your, the, uh, the uh, the the, the deductions that you have that that you itemize in one year, which gives you a huge deduction one year, and the next year you take the standard deduction of twenty four thousand. I like the way you had to think through that. You know, you're I you're just have so much up well, there, Jim. I was no, trying to pull no. It. <laughs> you're talking to me as if you know we talk about seventy and a half, and I I may go all over the place, but I don't go through that going. I can't think right now. You see, I like that. That's good. That's a good thing. You know, you guys have done a great job, and I guess. Ted, if you're looking at this, contact our CPA, go through this. You've talked about using your IRA to do a required minimum distribution and making it give to the church or to your charity or wherever you want to go. Is there something else there? I mean, is there anything else you want to add to that? No, there are some other strategies. We really don't have a lot of time to we'll go into. We'll come back and do that. Yeah. I think the biggest one will be appreciated assets. A lot of people know about that, but that's the other one that people don't don't use and many people don't know about that would be worth talking about. Well, I appreciate you, you walking us through that. Tremendous information. Shannon, is there anything else on Medicare, Part A, B, C, D? D-E-F-G or whatever? Seek advice. That, that's the best thing that I could say is, is seek advice um, to, to find out what the best option for you. The best option for you may not be the same as your neighbor. You know, I appreciate both of you saying that because we have a tendency to talk about a lot of stuff. And you're really saying, find somebody, get that professional, whether it's a CPA, help him do that. You know, find someone that really can guide you through that. And that's important. I appreciate you bringing that out. You've been listening, of course, to The Voice, KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. My guests have been Shannon Dyson and Ted Miner. And if you'd like to talk with them personally, call them at 757-5757, area code, of course, 901. We hope you've enjoyed today's program. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your talking to us and coming back and asking us questions. And if you do have questions for Talk Money, send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. To find today's program on podcast or past programs, go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial. Be sure to like us on Facebook. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Thanks for listening. This is Talk Money. Talk Money is produced by Greg Ratliff. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. 
Production Assistant, Eleanor Moskovitz. Compliance Officer, Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker and Ted Miner are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securing Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Bye.